0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast. My name is Adam Beck. I'm your host for the Chronicles. Uh, My day job is Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council in Australia and New Zealand. And today, episode uh, 42 today, uh, and we're going to talk about conversational AI uh, and everything surrounding that. And joining me to take us through that topic is uh, Simon Cooper from Deloitte. Simon, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Adam. It's great to be here.
0: Pleasure. Looking forward to this one, Simon. Um, Let's kick off by sharing with our listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, hello, listeners. Great to be here. So I'm Simon Cooper. I'm a director in the customer strategy and design practice at Deloitte Digital in Australia. And my job is to help Decide and design great experiences that delight our citizens and people who live in Australia the interact with governments uh, across the nation and indeed the world. And So that's my day job and then in my uh, personal life I'm the co-author of a new book that I've uh, independently published which is called Are We There Yet? The Digital Transformation of Government and the Public Sector in Australia. And that's coming out at the end of the month. So essentially all things customer and transformation in, in government and AI is a big part of that.
0: Well thanks for um, thanks for giving us that uh, intro Simon. Now we've kind of probably all heard of AI uh, you know here and there. Um, conversational AI of course is a sort of a, a specific term or terminology. Can we start with some essentials and I'm just going to fire at you point blank and say, what is conversational AI?
1: Look, Adam, you're you're right. There are lots of definitions out there and lots of confusion around AI. For, For us at Deloitte, when we think about conversational AI, our kind of formal definition is the programmatic and intelligent AI that offers a conversational experience to mimic conversations with real people through a variety of channels. How would I explain that to my mother-in-law in in Queensland? I would say essentially it means enabling organisations, be they governments or private companies, to be able to have conversations with their constituents or clients in a way that you would do if you were down the local pub or in the the marketplace um, in a way in which it's kind of natural, purposeful um, and, and simple. And many of your listeners will have, of course, heard of uh, some of the, the channels. When we think about conversation on AI, we think about the chatbot that you're interacting with. So, for example, in Facebook Messenger, um, the, the little chatbot that um, pops up when you're on your mobile. So maybe when you're you know, looking at Jetstar or something, it'll pop up and say, how can I help you? And um, the voice devices, so Google Home, Amazon Alexa, which we'll talk about a bit later, When you're speaking to a call center, so a so-called virtual or cognitive agent, essentially where a robot is answering the phone rather than a person. And then also within those call center environments, call centers agents are assisted by a machine who are augmenting or helping them. So when you think about conversation AI, it's across all of those different different channels.
0: Now, my interest in conversational AI um, recently came from um, an article I was reading um, and the broader context of the article, Simon, uh, it was sort of around jobs of the future and indeed, um, you know, the the change that many are predicting, um, jobs going to, you know, the robots Um, just broadly, can you share with us, Um, what your views are on this issue around um, automation and the changing workforce. Um, We hear a lot of sort of grim predictions, you know, uh, the article I was reading, you know, up to 40% of jobs today, you know, can go by, I forget what it was, 2040 or something like that. Is there any sort of uh, fast facts or common views held or, um, you know, the, the more reliable sort of perspectives around uh, automation and uh, how big and fast and impactful it might be in the workforce?
1: So you, the timing of your question is great, Adam, because Deloitte have, uh, launched a national level are building the lucky country report where it, it tackles that future of work question. And our, our headline response from that is that we very much see a positive future where the jobs of the future are human. So where you're talking about automation, hopefully that will be, and we'll talk about that the conversation on AI, the kind of tasks that you and I and your listeners hate doing, and so you can focus on, on better, better work, um, more productive work, and dare I say in the great country of Australia, maybe spend a bit less time working and a bit more time on the beach or in the bush or down the pub or any other a- a- activity. And um, there are a whole variety of reports out there that talk about the impact of, of, of automation, the, the kind of obvious, potentially obvious ones, silly in America around the automation of vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and the impact that would have, for example, on, on trucks and something like 3 million uh, trucking jobs in the States. Um, no doubt there's a not quite a similar number, but um, a number of truckies across Australia. It's not just those jobs as you transport stuff, so the infrastructure sits around that that will be impacted. And our clear position or thought within the market is that that future should be bright because you're automating tasks where and either augmenting people to do their jobs better and safer uh, and faster, or you're um, taking away some of the monotonous work. And I'll talk about call centers in a second in that respect.
0: Okay, so um, and we might, yeah, as you say, we might touch on that a little bit, a little bit more. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that are that are worried that you know the the role of the human is is going to be quite significantly impacted. I, I, I was I was kind of curious, Simon, around how far away this sort of is, and your introduction uh, highlighted, you know, very clearly that you know conversational AI is obviously in our daily lives you know here and now um has it been uh has it been something that's kind of just snuck up on us recently it's been around for a long time what what's kind of been the the journey or pathway of of conversational ai i mean if we could take the you know the cloak off the of the sort of the, the geeky world of conversational AI. Is this something is this something you've been hanging out with for, for quite the geeky some time? World. <laughs> <laughs> How I mean give, um, us, give us a sense of sort of the, you know from a practitioner's perspective, is this is this, you know, twenty hours, you know, young or it's been around for, for years and years and
1: years so <laughs> It depends what context you're, you're working in, right? So I think um, that three years ago I bought an Amazon Alexa and was playing around with that in my kitchen and asking it questions and getting it to play music in the last year, um, certainly last Christmas, the Google Home and Amazon Alexa as a voice device was one of the, the fastest um, you know, selling things at JB Hi-Fi and, and indeed on Amazon. So it kind of depends. The, the overall point I would make is that the machine learning that underpins conversational AI is getting better and better by the day. So some people, when you got your first iPhone, for example, you might have tried to interact with Siri and had a bad experience and then not gone back to it. Whereas if you get the latest iPhone, Siri is really, really responsive. And indeed, apparently um, 20% of all uh, mobile queries are now being done by voice, which gives you an indication of, our Voice as a conversational AI channel is um, is rapidly expanding. Or things like um, um, in Microsoft's 2019 voice report, they're saying that 72% of survey respondents reported that they're using their digital assistants, or like Alexa or Siri, or others to do things other than just set an alarm clock or listen to to the radio. So in that sense, it is starting to become a a trend that you can impact and see. The other way I would describe it is, for example, if you've been using Gmail for the last 10 years, you've now got the kind of conversational AI snuck into that where it can predict what you might want to say next. And in that sense, you're kind of adding AI to everything rather than it being a, a big bang kind of change in the way that when the iPhone came out or indeed as people started to transfer to cloud computing. say so in the last five years. So, that answer your question, Adam?
0: It's, it certainly does. So conversational AI, Simon, uh, obviously is a is one of many different types of AI. Can you give our listeners a sense of, you know, is, is there a broader AI umbrella or family that's out there and, and the conversational AI is, is one of those? Um, what are some of the other sort of common versions of AI that maybe we're sort of uh, experiencing already or we might be familiar with?
1: It's a a good question and I think the, the sense is that you don't necessarily see it. So AI is being used all the time to develop the kind of algorithms that impact how we search on the web. So whether you're using voice or, or not, what you see in a Google search is impacted by the machine learning sitting underneath an algorithm, whether or not your Uber's gonna arrive or decide to, to pick you up, the songs that you might be listening to or recommended on Spotify or indeed um, in, indeed Netflix. So in that sense, that's very, uh, it's AI that you can, you, you're seeing and, and experiencing. It's not necessarily the deep, um, machine learning models that would sit underneath that are being trained to solve great problems, some of which will take many years um, in, you know, in, in a government sense. I really like the example from the New South Wales Data Analytics Centre where they've used machine learning to identify the potential risk of uh, combustible cladding following the terrible events in Grenfell. And so that was, what, two years ago, and they used machine learning uh, a year or so ago to identify all of those, uh, those potentials. So you've got different visibility of of AI. And the other point that I would draw to going back to conversational AI is that your listeners might not see and realise that unless, for example, in the contact centre space and the virtual agent answering a call or helping you with a password reset, for example, identifies them as a as a virtual agent you won't know it's the type of AI so the overall point I want to make is that AI is being added to to everything with a variety of complexities sitting underneath it and that should excite everyone and there's a whole bunch of ethical stuff which I'm sure you're gonna ask me about and previously you're gonna ask me about in a second.
0: (laughs) That's exactly right I mean it's fascinating listening to you Simon because uh, I mean, I am by in no way by any means, you know, an AI technical expert. I know of the term, and I generally sort of know the broad strokes of it. But you're obviously clear, clearly um, sharing with us, um, you know, the, the the fact that that AI is is we're, we're immersed around AI, and it's sort of weaving itself through and. Um, slowly being you know augmented and it's it supplementing existing sort of processes so um,
1: so that's great um, yes and that, and that next- Adam is where, it's is where I'm most excited by it. so I don't, I'm not a, a technical expert I'm a, a pragmatist focused on how can you save citizens time so I yeah. hate interacting with government, so recently uh, became a father again. Was getting a birth certificate. It took so long. The website's all over the place. The call center wasn't open. It was then a manual form. AI is one aspect, along with modern digital technology, of making that process far less painful. At a time when I wanted to be spending that with my new baby, not working out how to get the birth certificate. And that—that's the AI, as you refer to, quite often gets put in. It's a geeky technical thing. Mm -hmm. actually i'm much more interested in how do you create those delightful customer experiences and part of that delight means you being able to trust it and knowing that the thing that's um automating or helping decisions isn't racist or anything else and as i'm sure some of your listeners will have come across in the news in the last few years
0: yeah so let's talk about um if we can switch gears and talk about local government for a moment we always like to Yep. sort of ground this in sort of smart cities and let's talk about cities and uh, cities are cities, you know, they, they, um, res- they're responsible for delivering, um, services to citizens. Um, typical cities have many, many different sort of portfolios and departments and agencies. Um, where, I mean, if you were to sort of start high level Simon, uh, in Australia, um, Uh, or if you wanted to sort of also bring some comparisons in internationally, Mm. um, what are some of those sort of common uses of of sort of conversational AI within local government and municipalities at the moment?
1: So, you know, draw a distinction between... um, I talk about government in, in general here, and I, mm-hmm. I think part of the challenge right right now is that the AI conversation is around machine learning, the deep technical bits. It's not what I was just saying around, well, how can we use this right now to improve the experience of our of our customers? So I would say that the overall opportunity is around increasing customer value. So you can, for example, free up opportunity for your you know employees, be that local council, parks, whatever it might be, to place effort on higher value interactions. So you know in advance using modelling what is going to be most um, most impactful, including identifying the customers that need more help or, or not, for example. And we found that certainly globally, less in Australia, um, so when I say globally, in, in America, some of the states there where they've introduced uh, chatbots, have been able to not only provide the kind of 24-7 service, so the best certificate example I gave you earlier, won't surprise you that I was trying to do that at 11 o'clock at night and couldn't mm-hmm. get hold of anyone. If it's the, the virtual chat agent, either on the call centre or the chatbot had been available, I might have been able to, to deal with, with that there and then at a time that, that suits me, particularly as um, citizens have higher and higher e- expectations and in that sense, you're dealing with something um, that, there and then. The, the other thing which is surprising, actually, is my favorite example of, of the chat chatbot that they found that, um, for a, in a U.S. health authority that people were more open talking to a chatbot about, in this case, sexually transmitted diseases, would you believe? Because they were dealing with someone that was anonymous that didn't shame them. So you're starting to get the potential, not only for so the kind of customer stuff that I'm banging on about. But also good public um, outcomes through the use of a different channel. And then it wouldn't be a government conversation and an opportunity conversation if I didn't talk about uh, reducing the, the cost to, to mm. serve. So using um, a chatbot or a virtual agent, for example, once it's all tuned up and scaled, you can get that thing running for 24-7. It's not you know, taking lunch breaks or you know, fag break or something because it's up and running all the time. And then you can get your employees focused on the calls that they want to do. So for example, I've done a project recently and the call center people were really worried about introducing a virtual agent. And actually the agents loved it, the people, because they didn't have to do the transferring of calls or answer about opening hours, or even read out train times because the machine was starting to do that. They were able to answer, you know, take a bit longer with that elderly person that's rung up, not just because they want to understand something, but because they wanted a, a chat, for example. So my overall message would be the opportunity for local government is to use a set of technology right now to serve your, your customers better, um, but don't make the answer straight away, let's get a chat box because that's only one part of the answer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, on an average day, Simon, if, if you're sort of doing some strategy work, you know, some digital transformation mm-hmm. strategy work for a government entity, um, I mean, is, is conversational AI typically kind of specified is, is it, uh, is it well known on the demand side? Um, how much does it sort of play a part in the average transformation strategy that, that you might develop out there?
1: The, the short, short and honest answer in Australia right now that the term, wouldn't necessarily resonate, but we'd have people come and ask and say we're quite interested in doing something with um, in the you know, voice assistant for example or chatbots were or all the rage certainly about a year ago though There's been mixed mixed use of those because you need to um, What describe tune them up. You can't just take this stuff out of the the box We are getting people ask a lot around In that sense, questions that have been around for years, how do I serve my customers better? How do I save money? How do I make sure that we're dealing with their data um, correctly? What is the opportunity here? We're starting particularly with the use of Amazon Lex, which is available in Australia in call centers. So that's the same um, machine learning on natural language processing that sits behind the Alexa voice assistant that's available now for call centers and seeing a lot of demand and interest in in that. But everyone's taking it kind of slowly because they want to understand, does it work? What do our customers think? How are they going to think about talking to you know, a, a robot rather than a, a person? How do you prove the value from a user perspective as well as the investment case? Uh,
0: Simon, I, I, I could certainly imagine it being sort of you know, a little bit overwhelming, um, at times, particularly for government. Um, because I mean, for me personally, you know, artificial intelligence and then put the word conversational in front of it, you know, it starts to conjure up images of, oh my God, millions of lines of code and this seems like it's going to be millions and millions of dollars for a project. I mean, how overwhelming, um, is is there any way that you can describe sort of, you know, what the technical aspects of this are? You just mentioned there sort of um, the sort of, I I mean, was it an off the shelf sort of program? I mean, how, how bespoke is this, you know, do you need to uh, create and and train the technology from scratch? Um, I, I suppose I'm asking, you know, is it easy to do or, you know, do we you, you create the strategy, but then you need to employ a, a you know a team of thirty people behind the scenes to sort of you know technically make it work. I mean, give me a sense of the scale of sort of you know creating a chatbot in a uh, you know in, in a sort of an average sort of um, scenario and, and deploying it is is it, you know how overwhelming is this?
1: So in that sense, it goes to my point about AI being part of things. It's no different, really, to and you know, so-called average or other digital transformation programs. So mm-hmm. you need to understand what problem you're solving for, what your customer needs are. Have you got the budget? Have you got support? What's the impact going to be on your your employees? In, in terms of the kind of technologies we use, particularly with Amazon Lex, the call center one that I referred to. You can take it out of the box and, and get going. Most clients want to do a proof of concept because they want to test it in the way that, you know, trial, tests learn, slightly more agile or iterative way of doing it. And then our style and preferred way of doing it is you work with um, you know, the receiving organisation to, to tune it up. So, for example, uh, we've done a project with Queensland Health where previously doctors and nurses had spent 42 minutes on hold to get the help desk sitting around password resets. And then we gradually were able to tune up the Amazon, Amazon Lex and um, to be able to answer and deal with those password resets, getting the time down to two and a half minutes. So that took a while because you're integrating your existing systems, but essentially the it is out of the box from, from, from Amazon that you're customizing it to your situation. In in that case, they wanted a slightly different accent. Uh, I can't confirm, but I think they wanted a slightly more Queensland accent than the, you know, maybe the, the Sydney centric one or um, American one. So you can then um, you know fiddle with that. We've seen a lot in the market around chatbots where people have gone, yep, yeah, out of the box, there you go. And all they've really done is put a search over an organization's website and it just spits back the FAQs. And that doesn't that's not really conversational it's just a different way of doing a a website which by the way if the website was designed well they should be able to find anyway and so we'd always encourage people to start with a bit of art if possible but focusing on what business problem you're solving for not that hey i want some ai that sounds cool i've been reading about it in the economist or you know listening to this kind of podcast Uh,
0: with with a lot of sort of tech that's getting deployed these days, Simon, and, and of course, as the general public's sort of awareness, you know, uh, increases around um, the sort of uh, risks and opportunities with certain technologies, um, I, I will ask that question now around things like um, security and, and, and privacy and, and ethics. I, I don't really want to go deep into those, but... Um, do do privacy, security, and ethics tend to sort of form part of the conversation? I mean, you know, is is there general concern that you're you're seeing or you're hearing? I mean, CCTV cameras, for example, at the moment, you know, they're getting a really bad run at the moment. Um, you know all that it takes is for sort of one article about the the chinese social scoring credit system to you know hit, hit a blog post and suddenly you know it, it, it does sort of shake a lot of fear into people uh, are you seeing a, a heightened level of sort of concern in the uh, conversational AI space at all or, or the issue doesn't come up much what's, what's your views on that
1: I think that, I mean, it's a really interesting point and I know the Australian government and Data61 have been looking extensively around the ethical use of AI and there's meant to be a national strategy about AI for the government that, that's, that's due out at some point this year that will cover some of those, these points far better than, than I can. I think that the main issue that comes up goes to the point you asked me at the start is around the threat of jobs at the moment, particularly in the call centre space and I think the virtual devices, uh, the home speakers, and people have a a view on that. You'll have seen recently that Google Home and Amazon have admitted that there are workers who who can listen in or have listened in on um, recorded calls beyond, because it says in the terms and conditions that it will record what you're saying. So if I ask it to play a certain song or what the weather is in Sydney, It's recording that information because it's using it to improve the algorithm and machine learning to make the response better. So when you plug in the device, you're agreeing to that privacy. The problem has been where it's been listening into conversations when the device is not activated. And that's a live issue. I think the the other couple of points around I would make on this are just the confusion around, so for recently, and I'm come back from holiday in the UK where the, the National Health Service has released a Alexa app. So you can ask Alexa for for help or the uh, information, it should be information. And that immediately became a news story about outsourcing doctors to talking to a speaker in your, um, uh, your kitchen. And if anyone has been to the UK or knows British people, you know how robustly they defend the, the NHS. So that kind of completely went off in a different um, direction when actually all it is is a spoken version of what you can get from NHS Direct when you ring up or look on a website. And then to finish answering the question on a more positive point, we're seeing in banking that actually they want to develop voice authentication so when you ring up and try and talk to a virtual agent or engage that they can quickly identify that, yes, I am Simon Cooper based on my voice print because they think that will be more secure Mm -hmm. And that would then lead you to be able to talk to your Amazon Echo or Google Home, like you would do if you were talking across the counter to a bank teller. Um, but with the difference being they'll be a lot quicker at being able to tell you your balance and so on, um, and then get to a point where you can do interactions. So, I'm going to a concert later today. I owe my uh, my friend eighty dollars for that. I'd just be able to say to my Google Home, "Pay Steve eighty dollars." and it would for it to authenticate to do that. I'm sure that would horrify some people, but that kind of convenience is one that I, for one, would be really pleased to to be able to do, for certain amounts, of course. I wouldn't be paying a mortgage deposit that way.
0: I I wanted to ask you, Simon, we're seeing it in some other areas around digital transformation, but with conversational AI, are there any other sort of transformations or disruptions or particular tech and data solutions that are converging with it at all? You know, how we sort of see, you know, we put out an app for this, but then suddenly we've changed this part of the system and we've now got a a sort of a new savings or efficiency or a new opportunity. What else is out there that's sort of intersecting with conversational AI that might be potentially creating another new opportunity on top of that. Um, do, is there anything that sort of catches your eye at the moment or you're observing in in, in that context?
1: I think, well, there's the, the two things here, and I know the the government in New South Wales, where I do a lot of my work, has focused on this. It's just how you use these new technologies to serve harder to reach communities or where there is a, an issue. So. For example, if you put a smart um, speaker um, that can automatically translate either in a, in this case maybe a, you know the equivalent of Service New South Wales or Service Victoria, real-time translation, um, that would maybe help to, to reach a harder uh, to reach um, community. For example, so I'm quite. I'd, I think that use of conversational AI just hasn't been explored enough yet. And part of it is some of the cost may have been prohibited before or still working through some of the, the kind of privacy concerns that you've talked about. The, the other main one to answer your question about convergence, for me, good digital experiences come from having the same content served up to you or organizational experiences, I should say, be that you're in a physical shop front, I'm calling someone, I'm on the mobile app, I might be messaging them using Facebook Messenger, I might be on a chat bot. And right now, generally, those channels aren't linked, but using some of the conversational AI technology, you can develop one knowledge base. So that means you've got consistency in how you're responding to customers, and then ideally, continually to update that knowledge base um, rather than what typically happens is a manual exercise will happen every three or four years, normally when government structures change. So that idea of being able to serve consistently and, and you know, within that, of course, you're more likely to adhere to policies and, and other things as well. So I'm pretty excited by that.
0: I just, just going back on the issue, Simon, that you mentioned before around reaching you know kind of vulnerable populations um Mm -hmm. i I did have the question um in my back pocket around sort of audiences with conversational ai i mean uh, i I don't spend a lot of time sort of on the phone or uh, on the web sort of engaging with government i I don't know why maybe i've got a very boring life um but uh, you know I'm, i'm i'm generally not um seeking support or services at the moment anyway. Um, but I can imagine, um, I can imagine that maybe some of our more elderly populations, I mean, I know my mother, for example, um, she can't drive. She had an accident, you know, many, many years ago. So she relies heavily a lot on public transport. Um, she's retired, so she's very active and she likes to sort of, you know, express views to politicians. So she spends a lot of time on the phone, Um, is there any any sort of sense of resistance to AI? Um, You know, I'd rather talk to a real person. And is there any sort of general indication as to whether uh, particular age cohorts or demographics are either sort of really taking to it or really sort of rebelling against it? Is there anything around there that, you know of, or you might be able to share? I'm just curious.
1: I would say that is a a work in, in progress. Generally, I think I referred to my mother-in-law in Queensland earlier and I explained what I was doing with this contact center work and she said, oh, Simon, you know, you're, you're helping people lose their jobs. And then I explained that actually the potential for a 24 seven contact center, so, Someone could then ring up at any time of night, so in the case of your your mum, you she might want to talk to someone, and because they'll have spread out the physical as in people agents across the day, because the bot is answering some of the calls, that for me would be a better service. So whether someone like your mum realises it's enabled by conversational AI is a, is a different question. I think that this space is one where there needs to be lots of user research and, and testing, but... If you would said to me, I don't, I when I get on Facebook in, or maybe 2006, I first went on Facebook. If you had said to me that the main way in which my dad, who's 67, interacts with his friends is through Facebook and on WhatsApp, I would have said you were crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, so, mm-hmm. it may well be that they can't, that generation say say no um, or rejected to begin with, but then become become fast. Followers. the proof is in the pudding right and at the moment it's still at a certain degree of, of hype or as I said earlier it's just being injected into everyday services so you might not realize and um, so for example if you you know your mum gets um, you know, pulls, calls up a concept center it might be that she gets served quicker because they recognize her and it's you know, her risk profile is that she needs to be served a bit bit quicker than someone else so I think there may be some uh, you know, unintended benefits in, in there and the, the case for adoption will, will, will
0: play out, right? So, so, I mean, it seems from, from our conversation, you know, that for, for a local authority, um, there's some really good low-hanging fruit, right, when it comes to conversational AI. We've mentioned the call centres, the contact centres, you know, also sort of web-based uh inquiries and interaction um more broadly can i ask you more broadly around digital transformation within government um and this this is sort of more more of a personal one what what kind of transformation and you know what what sort of technology or solutions behind that transformation are you really are you really finding um is having a sort of a really significant impact in a positive way for for government, you know, really good, um, you know, cost savings, uh, excellent, you know, sort of customer service or or citizen experience. Is there anything at the moment that personally you're really sort of excited about and you're seeing great progress in?
1: So the thing, and we touch on this a lot in in my forthcoming book, I'm really excited about is just how you can use any of these technologies to genuinely use government as a way of problem solving to make citizens' lives easier in what they're doing to free up time. So for example, uh, with my Deloitte hat on, we've just launched um, a report with Adobe that suggests the average person could save a day a year interacting with government if they use digital channels. So... For all the talk in this podcast about the kind of emerging or future technology with ai there 's probably three things that I would say that excite me because I think the case for them happening and i 'm starting to see them happen across certainly in Australia and that will come down to local like authority level as well for sure because you can 't just do it at federal or state it needs to be joined up. The first is having content organized around life journeys so the birth of a child, for example, rather than me having to ring up and separately hunt down how to get a birth certificate or how to start a business. And that good content needs one way of um, commonly presenting that content around life journeys and having some analytics that helps you understand what people are looking at. So less of websites being a front door and more of being a service. So in that sense, I'm talking about technology that's been around for a few years. And I'm definitely excited about cracking the nut once and for all around how you prove who you are um, with with identity. And that's probably a subject of a whole different podcast. And then the third one, um, as you've heard, the excitement around contact centres because the cost of doing conversational AI with virtual agents. So say you only do 20% of the calls through bots or um, the you know the, the voice agents. And using the likes of Amazon, that means that that contact centre can be open longer. So you're actually serving people when when they want to, rather than being closed at the weekend. And then everyone's trying to ring on Monday, and then it's a pain, and you go round a loop and loop and loop. Or you can't ring them after 6pm. And you know, lo and behold, most people want to deal with their admin in the evening or you know maybe the weekend. So good content and analytics, cracking a nut of identity, and then. A potential for 24 7 contact centers so you know people like your mum adam who you want to chat can can do that and are not being hurried or you know pushed into a website that they've got no interest in trying to navigate
0: uh, simon i'm gonna i'm gonna take you up on that uh, that identity one on another on another interview at some stage but uh, for now um my, my last <laughs> my, my last question um, I really want you to sort of push pause on on, on conversational AI, step back. Um, share with me in this crazy sort of digital transformation world, what are you most looking forward to over the next year? But
1: overall, in... New South Wales and at federal level, there is the political commitment and money and focus around, and there is a once in a generation opportunity to really transform how citizens engage with the state to get stuff done so that they can spend less of their time on calls, should they wish to, uh, or navigating websites and more of their time getting on with economic growth, their families, or you know anything else they 'd rather do rather than you know, spending a day chasing around government, um, and within that that we help or the, the opportunity particularly to help the most vulnerable people in society, so either they 're having specific services designed for them but, or because the masses are being dealt with more efficiently, and uh, you can spend more time trying to crack some of those big uh, you know, social um, social issues so that 's thing that excites me the most um, in my book around Are We There Yet, we we set out a manifesto that we're, we're hoping uh, out for 20 big ideas or suggestions, and I've just given you a bit of a flavour of them, and um, the leaders around the, the country, be they in local government or any tier of government or working with government like Deloitte and others, um, can, can get behind that and really focus and use the types of technologies and the new ways of working to, just to make it all a lot easier to deal with government and then we can all get on with our lives and and do the things that we really enjoy
0: doing. Well, Simon, I I love, um, I I love sort of the conversations that I have on the podcast when, you know, we really get to, um, I suppose, confirm that this whole smart cities and digital transformation uh, agenda can can really be life-changing now, uh, which is really, uh, which is really nice. So, um, thanks, uh, thanks for sort of sharing, you know, one part of, you know, the broader sort of digital transformation process with conversational AI, uh, thoroughly looking forward to, to your book. You mentioned, uh, is, is it later this month that it's coming out?
1: Yes, so 31st of of, of July, it's available from Book Depository and Booktopia, so it's called Are We There Yet? The Digital Transformation of Government and the Public Service in Australia, and I've co-authored it with a guy called Martin Stewart Weeks, Um, and much like this podcast and with a book, this is a continuing um, dialogue, right? This is not, this is iterative, Uh, I'd love to hear feedback on some of the things I've said um, at Deloitte, we're still working through what we mean by Conversation AI and some of the, the uses. And you know, I'd love to hear some some uh, you know views and and feedback and and challenge uh, around what I've said because the most important thing is that we have a dialogue about the opportunities of the, these uh, these things.
0: Well, absolutely. I, I, I'm looking forward to picking that up. And I. I... I know Martin, um so I'm I'm sure that it's uh, it's gonna be a great read. Everyone um, knows Martin. <laughs> everyone knows that. <laughs> that's right. Uh Simon Cooper, thanks uh thanks so much for uh, joining us on the Smart Cities Chronicles today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And for listeners that aren't subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, you can do so. We're on all your typical platforms, regardless of whether you're an Apple uh apple podcast fan or spotify or other you can also head to our website smart cities uh, you can also send us an email if you want to just sort of share with us any particular views or suggestions or ideas or reactions uh, the email address is chronicles at a-n-z dot smart cities council. Dot com. My name is Adam Beck, the host of the Smart Cities Chronicles. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you another episode shortly. But for now, keep well.